So Money Episode 810, Tim Chen, co-founder and CEO of NerdWallet. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. My, you know, my family was middle class. Uh, we were we were very frugal. Our big financial goal uh, was definitely paying college tuition for my sister and I. Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today, we're in conversation with Tim Chen. He's the founder and CEO of NerdWallet. It's a personal finance website that started from a personal experience and need. You know, Tim got laid off in the 2008 recession from a job on Wall Street, and it was in that time frame his sister came to him for some quick financial advice. She just wanted to find the best credit card. You know, simple. And his parents around the same time were seeking Tim's advice for buying a mutual fund. And uh, so he did like most of us would do. He went to the internet and found that his search was unfruitful and frustrating. And it was at that point that he became inspired to create a well-designed and unbiased destination for financial advice and products. He started NerdWallet with $800. Today, it's worth hundreds of millions and has over 300 employees. What is next for the company, for the world of personal finance products and services, and what are some of Tim's own rules when it comes to managing his money? Pleased to welcome Tim Chen. Tim Chen, welcome to So Money, my friend. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for having me, Farnoosh. Yeah, this is a this is a really cool time to be connecting with you. This is now ten years almost to the day that you were laid off during the recession. Who wasn't you working in the financial services industry on Wall Street? Um, and that's when the journey of NerdWallet kind of began. But Christmas twenty oh eight was kind of when you got your pink slip. How are you going to celebrate? That's a big milestone for you. <laughs> it is. I can't believe it's been 10 years. Um, a lot of gray hair since then. Um, but yeah, we have so much to do. It's it's kind of hard to pause and celebrate. Yeah, well, you should. You should. And today we should mention we're recording this on Halloween, although it's airing in November. Um, what You have you have a family. What, what's, what are your plans for Halloween? Well, uh, there's a street in San Francisco that is uh, – thriving with kids trick-or-treating. Uh, our CFO lives on that street. So uh, my wife and I are going to go visit her and trick-or-treat with them. Nice. And Okay. So I am not dressed up this year because that's my life right now. But I am, I guess you could say, dressed up as a tired mom of two slash podcaster. Uh, what's your costume? I am the notorious RBG this year. Uh, we had the fortune of uh, taking a trip to the Supreme Court recently, and we got to meet a bunch of justices and <gasps> thought it'd be really cool to dress up. Oh my gosh, you have to post this online and send it to the the original gangster, RGB. RBG, <laughs> RBG, well. Uh, I will tag her. <laughs> you got to tag her. I'm sure she's always on Instagram, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but let's get serious for a moment. NerdWallet's a serious business. This didn't always start with... Uh, the idea that it was going to turn into a half a billion dollar company, it was kind of grown out of um, a personal situation you were in. Family members were coming to you asking you for your financial advice. You didn't really have 
a solution for them. And so like any great entrepreneur inventor, you went and you created something, built something, which is now Nerd Wallet. But take us back to the moment when you were kind of just, just creating the, the beginnings of Nerd Wallet. What started it all? Well, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I had been, you know, fired uh, really recently. And my sister called me and said, hey, Tim, what credit card should I get? And I said, let me Google that for you. Right. So <laughs> I spent about 30 seconds on Google and was kind of confused. Uh, I, I was finding a lot of marketing materials and not a lot of analysis that I, I thought would be helpful. And so that's really where it all started. Um, I put together a spreadsheet for her from the biggest banks. It got forwarded to a few friends and, uh, you know, it kind of started from there. Uh, you know, that was in the early days, I never really set out to build a big company. I mean, the intent was really just to put some um, useful utilities out there for people. Um, but, you know, what, what kind of started happening in credit cards, which was bridging that information asymmetry gap that uh, consumers have with banks in terms of features and APRs and things like that, that proved to be a similar problem that existed in all financial products, whether you're talking about a mortgage or a deposit account or an auto insurance policy. So um, we started uh, blogging and um, putting tables up and tools up to help people with all those things. And, you know, 10 years later, we're over 100 million uh, visitors a year and 3 million members who are helping out. That's really incredible. And I, I really appreciate how you built the company financially, because I remember as I was a partner with you guys a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I got to learn some of the behind the scenes, which I think you've been public about just how you weren't really quick to raise money, right? Because you wanted to really grow it stealthily and bootstrap it, which looking back, are you glad you did that? Or do you feel like maybe you should have taken some investor dollars earlier? Um, I'm really glad we built it slowly and in the right way. And, you know, to give a specific example of where that could have affected outcomes, um, I think when you when you raise money from a venture capitalist really early, they want to see growth next month. You know, I mean, there's no there's no patience around that. And so instead of taking the time to build things the right way, you might start putting your best minds um, to work, figuring out how to do paid advertising, for example. And that can lead you down a very slippery slope in terms of the decisions you make about your product and your brand. Uh, so really glad we waited such a long time. Yeah, it was really smart. Um, so the company started with answering a question around credit cards, and that's still a big part of the business, helping people find the right credit card without having to Google it as you attempted to without uh, any success. But now it's so many avenues, right? You go onto NerdWallet, you can learn where to save, how to uh, invest better, questions around your mortgage, personal loans, student loans, insurance, travel, as a leading company in the fintech space, and you mentioned, you know, millions of users, what do you still see a problem? What is the biggest problem still, or what is a new problem that NerdWallet and others have yet to solve, but is really important to you? Well, there's there's a lot of big uh, problems out there that are extremely challenging to solve. Um, one of the big ones, I think, is uh, the ability to j just shop mortgages. I mean, it's so hard. I, I bought a home in 2015. Um, I, I was very fortunate to be able to do that. Um, but the process requires sending, you know, 10, 15 documents to three or four different people, getting on the phone with them, um, and then getting highly variant uh, pricing from all of them. Something about that just doesn't seem quite right. Um, and I think there's a big opportunity for us to really make that simpler. 
Yeah, I would like that too, because uh, I've gone through similar experiences. Hopefully, uh, you know, I think, I don't know, 2015, you'd think by then maybe we, they would have streamlined a few things by then, because I know that it was sort of the Wild West during the 2000s, and that's kind of what led to the crisis and the the the, the travesties of the recession and the, and the real estate market. But I feel like there's still a lot of room for improvement. And uh, well, hopefully, we'll, we'll stay tuned. We'll stay tuned. I'll keep refreshing my Nerd Wallet website, see if you guys <laughs> get right. that. Um, yeah. Well, I'd love to dive into your own personal financial philosophies and your personal experiences with money. And maybe I'll start with uh, maybe a big difference in your life now that you have built this company, you've built your wealth, and I'm sure there's still ways to go. But well, how has your life changed as it pertains to your finances? Yeah, my life actually hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, I, I will say in the early days of NerdWallet, um, None of us were paying ourselves a salary. Um, and so there really was more of a scarcity mentality in terms of personal finances. And this is actually a big thing I've noticed when we do user research across the country. Um, you know, our, our, our country is pretty divided in two uh, between people who struggle month to month and uh, people who don't. And there, there's just very different needs for both sides uh, that, that we've noticed. Well, for you personally, do you feel like now you have an abundance mindset and, and what changed? I do. Um, so, you know, being able to um, pay myself a salary and um, start saving money, uh, my mindset really changed towards, you know, making great decisions for the long run. So, I mean, you know, when, when I was living more on the margin, um, I was more likely to uh, take things to the pawn shop, metaphorically speaking, right, rather than make great <laughs> long-term decisions and investments. Um, so, you know, e even when it came to uh, Nerdball itself, I would spend a lot of my time doing things that um, were a big time investment that I should have been hiring other people to do. Mm. Um, and that really slowed down our pace of growth. But I think the same thing applies to individual family life when you're talking about things like um, going and getting an education or uh, making smart investments uh, to rather than having to have that buffer so that month to month you're okay. You were interviewed in Inc. Magazine, and uh, one of the quotes that I pulled from there, I don't know if you remember saying this, but I will read the quote, and I think it's so okay. interesting. I'd love to talk about it. But it was in co the context of becoming successful and you know how that impacts your family, your kids in, in particular. And you said at the same time that you want the company to do well, that there is no upside of becoming filthy, stinking, famous, or well-off. Do you still believe this? And what's the fine line? I mean, I think there's a way to be successful and, and filthy rich and still raise kids that, uh, that are financially um, smart and respectful and, and see the value in things. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's definitely possible. It might be, it might be a lot harder. Um, I think, you know, I, I definitely think a lot about how to impart upon my future children um, the the mindset that you know there's a correlation between hard work and uh, being able to have a self deterministic life. And um, I, I think the risk of losing that. Um, as you grow up in certain family situations is real. So it's something I worry about a lot. What would you, how would you characterize your upbringing, financial upbringing? And maybe is there a money memory that you have growing up that really sticks out? I do. Um, 
Yeah, my, my, you know, my family was middle class. Uh, we were, we were very frugal. Our big financial goal um, uh, was definitely paying college tuition for my sister and I. Um, in hindsight, I realized that. Um, and you know, I, I, I always observed growing up that you know something um, seemed a little bit uh, interesting because my parents were always hardworking, smart people, um, but not really getting ahead financially. So it drove a lot of curiosity uh, as to why that might be happening. And, you know, I, I think that's actually one of the reasons I, I got really curious about the financial role behind the Velvet Rope, um, which at the time I thought of as Wall Street and really wanted to um, go work there for a bit and see what, what that was all about. And I'm, I'm sure that actually planted some of the seed of really wanted wanting to increase access to, you know, great financial advice for everyone. Um, I think, and you know, in hindsight, my parents made a lot of great choices, uh, but I think they they also made had a bunch of big misses too. Um, probably should have been uh, more long term in their investment mentality. Um, uh, probably should have uh, not bought a bunch of rental property in a distressed state. <laughs> so you know, there's there's things like that that um, probably could have made a big difference. Mm. How about for yourself? What would you say is your biggest money mistake? Oh my gosh. I, so, so my first big lesson, um, that, you know, started with a face plan was really learning the difference between speculating and investing. So, um, you know, back in 2000, I was, I was just getting started in college and I, um, essentially was skipping class and day trading with my entire uh, net worth, which is very small at the time, but meaningfully, <laughs> meaningful to me then. And, um, you know, technology stocks were all the rage. Um, they had been going up. People were buying them just because they had been going up. And um, I think uh, over time, as I transitioned into a career in investing, I learned the difference between that kind of speculation versus trying to, you know, buy a piece of high quality companies with sustainable advantages and holding for the long run, uh, which I, I consider investing. And so those two things are very different to me. And so I, I think things keep on coming back uh, around over and over again. So, uh, you know, as I look at things like cryptocurrency, I can't help but be reminded of some of the mistakes that I made in the past. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. So crypto, what are your thoughts on that? Should people be as excited about it as the the hype suggests yeah i i'm you know my personal belief is that um crypto is highly speculative it's essentially the same as buying beanie babies or anything else <laughs> um you know there's there's a fixed number of beanie babies there's no inherent value the value is dependent on what other people will pay um and yeah i mean the the legitimate uses um, I see for crypto in the world are essentially money laundering because mm -hmm. it's anonymous, um, it's immutable, and so it's actually a fantastic vehicle for money laundering. Besides that, I haven't seen any real commercial applications uh, take place, and I, I think that's why you end up with you know such a volatile and um, uninvestable market, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Now. In terms of behaviors I see around me, I see a lot of people borrowing money to go buy crypto. In fact, <laughs> um, wow. you know that right. I mean, it's like you you look at some of the um, the crypto platforms out there, and you know they'll sell you monthly subscriptions to go borrow money to buy crypto. That doesn't seem like a good idea for anyone. Um, yeah, that I would agree with. Yikes! Okay, um, leverage your life so you can buy something that's completely speculative. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. That's great. <laughs> um, tell us about 
a piece of financial advice that you're really thankful you received. This question comes from our sponsor, Chase Slate, and they, uh, in partnership with So Money, are we're asking uh, guests like you with Thanksgiving being in the month of November, what you're thankful for when it comes to your finances and the advice maybe that really helped you get there. Yeah. It, if, if, you know, the, the one that was the biggest uh, single lever for me um, was rolling over my 401k for my last job. I, I, what I didn't realize until a couple of years after starting NerdWallet is that it is very typical for your old employer's 401k to be charging you something like 1% a year. Um, in terms of an excess management fee on top of everything else. Um, and if you think about the impact of that compounding over 40 or 50 years, that's really, really substantial. So um, I, a few years late, I finally rolled over my old 401k and ended up saving um, a quite, a, quite a bit of money every year. That's great. That's really good. All right, Tim, let's do some so many fill in the blanks, shall we? This okay. is when you um, just finish the sentence. Okay. First thing that comes to mind. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is? Uh, I, I would not do anything differently. Um, I am quite blessed to be doing something I love. I, it's something I've thought about a lot, actually. <laughs> do you play the lottery? Do you, uh, do you do anything speculative with your money? I do. I've. I've played the lottery. I've probably bought 100 lottery tickets over the last 10 years. Um, sometimes it's just too tempting to pass up. I don't play. I'm a sore loser. <laughs> I mean, I think the odds are better of building a billion dollar company, which you're on the way to doing. So you've sort of created your own lottery. Statistically speaking, I'd be really curious if that's true. I, Maybe it know, is. <laughs> I wonder if there are more billionaires out there than there are lottery winners, like real, like billion dollar lottery winners. Let's just level the, the, the field. Billion dollar. I mean, I, how I many? There there's really, I think this was the, the lottery we just uh, witnessed billion 1.2 or 1.4 billion that's the highest i've ever heard in my lifetime uh, and, yeah you're probably right i think all, you're right yeah so <laughs> it's statistically bad. <laughs> it's a little maybe it's a little harder but uh anyway when i spend my money to make my life easier or better i like to spend my money on uber eats um, uber eats i, I live in yeah, it's 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 really indefensible and bad. But I, I live right in the geographic center of San Francisco, and I can order food from any neighborhood in the city, which is really dangerous and really awesome. So, um, living living a, a a really busy life, it's it's tough to cook with a family of two right now. Um, and so we we end up ordering a lot of Uber Eats. Yeah. I've never tried Uber Eats. I'm big about Seamless, Caviar. Uh, there's a couple others, but Uber Eats I've never tried. Are you, is that your favorite? Um, yeah, they have a great selection. And my theory is that they're about three minutes faster than the other ones because they have their own driver network. So ah. it's pretty incredible. You can get McDonald's in like 10 minutes, which is <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> All right. When I was growing up, you may have already alluded to this, but let's, let's hit it again. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is. Oh, well, um, I wish, I, I wish my parents had taught me to manage up at work. That ended up being a, a really, really, uh, bad thing for my career <laughs> that ultimately resulted in me getting fired. So hmm. big financial impact. <laughs> Wait, so you call it getting fired. I thought it was a layoff, which if, if that is what happened, I feel like you should call it a layoff because, 
you know, it's it's almost like takes the blame off you. But do you feel responsible for losing your job? Oh, yeah, it was definitely my fault. <laughs> Tell me everything. So, I, I I really I really can't. I uh, oh. <laughs> They'll sue you, yeah. I guess. OK, um, <laughs> but what what did what, what was the lesson learned again? Repeat uh, that you learned about being on that job. Oh. Do you do you regret getting fired or was it a good I mean, ultimately, it was a good thing. But in the moment, ultimately, yeah, ultimately, it was a good thing. I think it wasn't until um, I became an employer myself that I, I really started to understand some of the um, important parts about you know, functioning well within a company, um, communication, um, supporting your supporting your team, uh, supporting your teammates. Um, yeah, I, I had a lot of maturing to do. I, I think it's something that um, potentially my parents uh, could have helped me out with. Hmm. All right. When I donate, I like to give to blank because I so I like to give to uh, things that I consider to have really high leverage. Uh, so things like. Uh, investigative journalism or Wikipedia or places like that, um, because I think it, it spreads the truth. And ultimately, I think that, um, you know, groups of people will do great things when the truth is out there uh, about the the conflicting interests that exist in the world. And and transparency is, is a huge vehicle for that. Yeah, absolutely. I know a lot of people on this show who listen and even guests have speculated or have have been worried about a market crash looming. And I just want to know because you're in the you know you're in the biz, and I'm sure you have uh, some observations about this or some guesses about this. But what can you say as far as like where we're headed economically and what people should be really focusing on over the next year, let's say just over the next 12 months? Yeah, I I have a few thoughts here. Um, I I think I've learned over my prior career that I'm too stupid to predict the future of the financial markets. Um, but I do see a really, really healthy economy. You know, it's the reason the, the reason interest rates are going up is because the economy is so healthy. Um, and fundamentally, I don't I don't see any change to that right now. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the best uh, my, my personal advice for investors is to think long term and don't try to time the market and, you know, find low cost ways to index uh, index the economy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have to agree. And all the while, make sure you're asking the good questions and tapping into resources, free resources to help you along the way. NerdWallet, uh, of course, being at the forefront of all of that. So thank you for building NerdWallet, Tim. It's not a small feat. And I know that there are a lot of moving parts and it's a big promise to be able to give people the financial advice that they need. But you're doing it really well. And we thank you for it. You're welcome. I appreciate the support, Varnoosh. Really, really thank you. To learn more about Tim and his company, visit nerdwallet.com. You can also follow them on Twitter and Instagram at nerdwallet. All this info is available for you for free at somoneypodcast.com. If you missed any of this, including if you want to read the transcript, head over to that website. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh. That's where you can leave me a question for our Friday episodes. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your day is so money.